0: Thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. All right, folks, welcome to Sunday, September 11th. 2022. You're listening to John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Justin News. Today, we've got a singular topic, a singular mission, and that is to never forget the sacrifices, the horror, the security failures, the resolve that was shown the morning of September 11th, 2001, when 19 hijackers, most of them from Saudi Arabia, allegiant to Osama bin Laden, Ayman al Zwari, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, three of the most heinous men in history, crashed four planes into American targets, two into the towers in New York City, the World Trade Center, one into the Pentagon where our brave men and women and their commanders work from in the fighting forces of America, and the last likely headed to the Capitol, U.S. Capitol, but taken down by the brave passengers of United Flight 93. We're going to bring to you the heroes, the voices, the memories, the leaders that helped us survive that day, starting with former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani, former New York Police Department Commissioner Bernie Carrick, and the head of the United 93 Memorial that honors those extraordinary passengers on that plane. And then we're going to talk to a couple of people who are leaning in to ensure that we do not lose the war on terror, that we do not lose our resolve, our capability, our determination to fight terrorism in every form, including at the border and in our cities and in our communities around this country. Former Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf, his thoughts on whether we've gone a step backward for the first time in the war on terror under Joe Biden. We're going to cover that with some greatness, and then we'll end with a great conversation with Frank Siller, whose brother Stephen Siller was a brave New York firefighter that ran into the towers. After running through a tunnel to get there, he was off duty, He didn't have to come back, but he did because he would not abandon his brothers in the fire department. He died when the towers collapsed, and Frank did not allow that death to go unanswered. He created the, one of the greatest charities in the world history, Tunnels to Towers Foundation. Yep, it raises money for the victims of 9-11 those who the military who fought in the war on terror, those and men and women in blue that are killed or wounded in the line of police duty. Frank Sillers took the most painful possible moment in a family's life, and he turned it into two plus, now a third decade of extraordinary goodness. Everything he does proves to the hijackers that they failed in their mission. They did not break our resolve. They did not break our goodness. They did not break our patriotism. They did not break our country. All they did was motivate brave people like Frank Siller or like all those men and women that fought in the war on terror these last 21 years. We only got stronger. You cowardly hijackers simply made America better with your heinous crime. How about that? We rose and we showed them. And we need to continue to do that day in and day out in this special Designed to motivate, remind, and uplift all of us in this country. Yeah, we have our political divisions, but nothing compared to the glue that holds us together in our commitments to freedom and in fighting tyranny, particularly the tyranny that jihadist Islamic terrorists tried to impose on this country on 9 11 with those terrible hijackings. All right, let's take a quick commercial break when we come back. First up, Former Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf, on the state of the war on terror, are we safer or less safer in the Biden years? Followed by Rudy Giuliani, Bernie Carrick, Frank Siller, the head of the United 93 Memorial in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Some extraordinary guests who made some extraordinary contributions and took the evil of 9-11 and turned it into good, into solutions, into security, into unity in America. We'll have all that right after this commercial break.
1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: Amanda Head and I will be commemorating the 21st anniversary of the deadliest attack on U.S. soil, remembering the heroes, the fallen, and the lessons from 9-11. Amanda, a solemn weekend ahead of us for sure.
2: It is, and it was a retaliatory plot planned and carried out by 19 extremist terrorists aided and funded by Saudi fugitive and Al-Qaeda ringleader Osama bin Laden. You know, for our grandparents, it was Pearl Harbor. For my parents, it was assassination of JFK and the moon landing. But for my generation, the defining where were you when moment will always be that horrible day in September.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to start off tonight's conversation with former Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf. We talked to him just a few minutes ago. All right, folks, joining me right now, the former acting secretary of the Department of Homeland Security under President Bush, Chad Wolf. Mr. Secretary, great to have you on the show. Well, Thanks for having me again. Um, As we approach the 21st anniversary of the 9-11 terror attacks, this is the first anniversary I can remember as a reporter where law enforcement security officials are telling me, we think we've taken a step backward, that Afghanistan's become a safe haven again, and that we're not on the same footing we were just a couple of years ago. What are you hearing? What are your thoughts on our security posture right now? Well, I think
3: that's right. I think every time we, we have an anniversary of 9-11, it's not only a somber moment, but it's a, it's a moment to reflect, to say, where are we and how we're protecting the homeland? And what we know is coming out of 9-11, 9-11 was really a catalyst to how do we look at the intelligence community? How do we look at our counterterrorism measures? And how do we look at our immigration enforcement measures? Because I think it's important to remember that you know, the, the individuals that committed that atrocity on 9-11 came, came in because of very lax visa requirements, uh, and the like. So it's important that we kind of continue to build on momentum. And I think uh, really since the founding of, of the Department of Homeland Security, which was back in 2003, um, each subsequent administration has built on counterterrorism measures and has made progress in, in strengthening that. Now, some administrations have made more progress than others, I would argue. But I think we, this administration, the Biden administration, this is the first administration where I think we have taken a step back. Uh, what we know is they came in you know, on day one uh, and they, they rolled back a number of counterterrorism measures that the Trump administration had put in place to make every American safer, to make travel to the U.S. Uh, a little bit more difficult. We wanted to vet individuals. We wanted to know who they were and why they were coming to the U.S. Um, and that was all for to make sure that we were protecting the American people. And then, of course, we had the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan. Right. And so that has not only provided a safe haven. Uh, for would-be terrorists uh, in country there, but is also the evacuation. And now we know that there are a number of, uh, quote, evacuees that have made it to the U.S. that are problematic and and that we have security concerns with. And and then, of course, we have the southern border where we continue to see known or suspected terrorists coming across that border in numbers that we have never seen before. And so I think across the board, uh, some would argue that uh, we are less safe today than we were just a couple of years ago.
2: Mr. Secretary, touching back (laughs) on the border issue, it's so porous that I think the number is up to, or it was up to, 42 individuals on the terror watch list as of this spring have crossed over and have been apprehended at the southern border uh, during the Biden administration. And a lot of people are concerned about that. Um, With respect to our national security, is that something that you think this administration is taking seriously Well, I'm certainly
3: surprised that we haven't had more incidents and more law enforcement investigations going on here in the homeland because of the number of individuals coming across. I'll give you another number, and it's about 83. 83 known or suspected terrorists have come across that border and that we have apprehended during the Biden administration, if you go back to all four years of the Trump administration, I think it was like 13. Um, and so the idea here is that the word is out across the world uh, even you know, in, in terrorist organizations that if you wanna to come to the US, you've got a pretty good chance of coming across that border. Now we haven't even talked about the millions of Godaways. Millions of individuals have come across that border and have never been uh, apprehended by border patrol and how many known or suspected terrorists are, are embedded in that flow. I can guarantee you it's not zero. Uh, I don't know what the number is. And I think that's the concerning part at the end of the day. You know, look, we know that bad individuals come to the U.S. to do all sorts of things. Some of their planning and timing is immediate. Some is is much longer term. It's years. So unfortunately, it's very hard to answer that question. But what I would say is some of the the, the consequences of, of this border crisis and allowing these individuals to come across that border unchecked, we may not see the consequences of that uh, for years to come.
0: Yeah, that's the, that's the scary part because embedded cells can oftentimes wait a long time before being activated. Um, sir, I know you still have great, uh, friends inside the department. You have great respect from your tenure there. People loved your, the work you did. What do the frontline Homeland security workers, uh, feel about the current situation, their ability to do their job under president Joe Biden?
3: Look, I I think they're frustrated. I talked to a number of them, not only in the Border Patrol, but elsewhere in the department. I think they're frustrated. I think, you know, it's it's not only the policy, but it's the messaging coming out of the department. I think if you were to take a a step back and you would you would look at a big picture, you would think that the only threats to the homeland today are either white supremacists or, or MAGA Republicans that the president talked about. They don't talk about the foreign terrorist organizations. They don't talk about ISIS and Al Qaeda and, you know, in Iran and China and all these uh, adversaries that we have across the world um, that want to do harm to Americans every single day. And they're not talking about that. And they're certainly not implementing policies about that. So I think for folks at the department, they need to get back to their core mission. And the core mission is making sure that they're protecting Americans from a full range of threats, not just the politically expedient threats uh, that an administration wants to to talk about today, but they have the larger view, and so that would be my concern and I think, like I said, I talked to a number of frontline operators, and I think they 're frustrated because they see the same thing. Yeah,
2: Mr. Secretary, for a lot of Americans who live in big cities, I think that on a day to day basis they are aware of the potential of an attack on a big city and, and I think a lot of people feel that way especially after 9/11 but we've also heard about a lot of terrorist cells popping up in random states like uh, Oklahoma, Arkansas, West Virginia. those terrorist cells were for people who live in those localities, if they see something say something, how do they go about doing that and what do they look for?
3: Well, I think that's right. I think what we have, we we continue to see, and and the department tries to do this on an annual basis uh, because they provide a number of grants to to localities and cities to harden uh, their infrastructure and make sure that they are, are better protected. I think, you know, the major cities out there continue to be targets, but they're not the only targets. And so it's important that the department continue to provide resources. Uh, to some of uh, what, what I would say would be you know, smaller metropolitan areas, you know, the Tulsa's of the world or the Kansas cities and, and things of that nature, where they also need hardened requirements and policies in place as well. So look, at the end of the day, you know, whether you're an American in New York City or L.A. or Dallas or, or anywhere else, you need to keep your eyes open, right? Your ears open. You need to make sure that you're, you're looking. If something doesn't feel right, if something doesn't look right, if you're seeing some suspicious folks, You got to talk to people. You got to talk to law enforcement. Uh, You got to talk to DHS. uh, Provide that information. Uh, They will check it out. Uh, They'll review that. I don't think you can be too safe in in the atmosphere and the environment that we live in today, Uh, because of the threats that we have talked about just in the last couple of minutes. They're out there. They're here in the homeland, um, and we need to be we need to be talking about that. I think one way to get complacent about that, really, to answer your question, is. We need the administration. We need the president, and the vice president talking about these challenges. It's not to scare individuals. It's to be up front with the American people about here's what's going on in the world. And here's what's going on inside your communities. And let's all be part of the solution. But if you don't arm them with the facts, if you say nothing's going on, there's no crisis at the border, no one's coming across. We're good here. We're good there. Then you're giving the American people a, a false sense of security in a, in, a, in a way. And I think that's that's very dangerous as well.
0: Yes, yeah, sir. 9-11 is one of those events. And we're remembering everybody who lost their lives that day, that, that day on this show today. All the people who then went into harm's way to protect this country for two decades. Uh, but everyone remembers where they were. Today. I'd like if you could just share a couple of your thoughts about what you remember from that day and its legacy in American history and also the extraordinary way that Americans came together after that day, which feels such a distant memory.
3: Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. Well, I was on uh, I was on Capitol Hill. I was a uh, staffer just a couple of years out of college on, on Capitol Hill on 9-11. I remember being evacuated from, from the Capitol and, and some of the buildings around the Capitol, uh, hearing jets uh, go over DC trying to intercept some of the, the flights that were still out there that were unknown. Uh, I remember uh, my boss at the time talking about, this is the, this is the Pearl Harbor for this generation. Uh, and that's really stuck with me over the years that you know, we had never seen anything like that uh, inside the US and hopefully we will never see that again. Uh, but it had a defining moment uh, and impact on myself and, and many others in my generation of saying, we need to serve our country, right? The ultimate service is obviously joining the armed, armed forces and, and serving in that capacity. But if you can't do that, there's other ways for you to serve. And, and unfortunately, I've had the opportunity over the course of my career to dedicate a lot of it to Homeland Security and in thinking of ways on how do we protect the American people every single day and build on the work of previous administrations. Um, And you got to do that. It takes leadership. It takes will. And it it takes the ability to make some hard and difficult decisions. And unfortunately, I don't see that uh, over the last 18 months. I don't see how we're pushing that ball forward. And so that that's problematic. Uh, To answer your second part, I I think you're right. I think a lot of people came together right after 9-11 because it was an attack on the homeland. Um, unfortunately we don't, we don't see enough of that, uh, every day yeah. here in here in DC, it would be nice if we did. Uh, but I think there's some fundamental differences on, on, on different views on how you protect the homeland and what sh- should be the focus. Do you want to focus on, on student loan payments? Do you want to focus on, uh, other issues that, that are nice, but that are not protecting the American people every day? I think that's what you got to get back to, particularly on a, you know, when we talk about the anniversary of nine
0: eleven. that's. That's all Americans want, getting back to the basics and getting back to some common sense. Sir, it's an honor to have you on. The work you've done in this space and the Homeland Security space is so important. And we really thank you for your service. And thanks for joining us on this very, very solemn weekend. Well, thanks for having me. All right, all right, folks, uh, welcome. We're going to come right back. We have two men that were at ground zero and worked together to sort through the tragic timeline of 9 11. You'll remember both of them former NYPD comm- Commissioner Bernie Carrick and former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Up next, ready for this? They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title and your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time, go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote. It's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. Welcome back, everybody. Joining us now are two men who were there at ground zero on 9-11. They not only rallied their city, New York City, back to uh, regularity after the 9-11 tax, they rallied our entire country. Joining us right now, the former mayor of New York City, Rudy Giuliani, and the former police chief of New York, uh, Bernie Carrick. Gentlemen, great to have you on the show today. Thank you. Nice to be with you. I'd like to start by just taking us back to that extraordinary day. It was a beautiful September morning, and then tragedy struck. Mr. Mayor, your your greatest memories from that day.
4: Oh, my goodness, John. You know, you're absolutely right. It was one of the most beautiful days of the year. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. It had rained uh, uh, torrentially the day before. Actually, it had uh, rained out the Yankee game. <laughs> That's right which uh, I was looking forward to. Uh, And then all of a sudden, this beautiful day, and I'm having breakfast, and I was told that a twin-engine plane had uh, hit the North Tower. I called the commissioner, and I told him I was rushing down there. And by the time I got there, uh, the second plane had just about hit, and uh, the commissioner joined me about four blocks, three blocks away from the site, and we walked there, to the fire department command post. And I would say the first scene that I saw that really, I'd have to describe it as traumatic, was uh, seeing a man jump from the 101st floor, which you're kind of looking at now, Mm. uh, and coming all the way down and hitting the ground. And my reaction was shock, which you had to contain. And uh, we talked and I said to the commissioner, this is this is something beyond whatever we've done before. We're just going to have to use our best judgment and hope to God that things work out right. And uh, then we just started making decisions. You didn't have any time to reflect on it, closing the bridges and tunnels so people couldn't come in. Making sure we had deployed the police because, remember, I think a lot of people forget, but I'm sure Bernie can really elaborate on this. In addition to saving the people that had been hit, which largely would fall on the fire department with the help of the police department, we were very concerned at further attack. Right. In Mm -hmm. fact, uh, I was certain there probably would be. I mean, there were... Yeah. There were two. We knew there had been several others in other places. There are plenty more targets in New York that were on the target list. And there are plenty of terrorists around New York. So first thing the commissioner did was he closed off the bridges and the tunnels so nobody could commit. And remember, the attack in 93 originated in Moss in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And we had been we had them under surveillance, so we knew there was activity there. And then we had to clear up the roadway so that we could get the vehicles in. And when we got to see Chief Gansy, who was running the fire effort, I put him and Bernie together so they could coordinate how many people they needed. So Bernie gave Gansy the cops that he would need to manage that area. But then all of a sudden, the job of the police department turned to protecting the city against what had to be anticipated additional attacks. And while we were on the street, we were hearing rumors like the Pentagon was attacked. The uh, tower in Chicago was attacked. The Mall of America was attacked. There were going to be further attacks in New York. Uh, You know, you you hear our situation like that. You hear a lot of wild rumors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Bernie had uh, put together at my request a, another um, uh, outpost for us right near the scene where we could have hard lines so that we didn't have to rely on cell phones because they were sporadic. And when we got there, we called the White House. We got the White House. We were told that the president had abandoned or that they were abandoning the White House. Then I got a call from Cheney, and during the call, the call went out. The building started to shake and everything went black and the first building had hit our building and Bernie, myself, the deputy commissioners, my deputy mayors, we were all trapped in this building for about a half hour that we finally were able to get out of. Although there were people that thought that we were killed.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. How harrowing. Such a forget harrowing
2: that. day. Yeah. And Bernie, I want to pose a similar question to you. I know in the past you have referred to this day, despite the horror and the devastation of that day as America's greatest rescue mission. As far as your memories of heroism of that day, what are some of the ones that stick out to you?
5: Well, look, I think you have to look at the, you know, the 23 cops that I lost, the 343 firefighters, the uh, the 37 Port Authority cops. These are people that went into those buildings, knowing the perils that um, were in front of them, knowing the dangers that were in front of them. Think of think of this. You know, you had. Hundreds of cops uh, in building uh, one, um, building two gets hit, building two implodes, there's there's a number of dead already, yet the cops and firemen went back into one. They continued to do what they had to do. Uh, even after the evac calls were called, Even even after they were ordered to leave in many circumstances, They refused to do so because they knew people uh, had to get out of there. And that's one of the reasons I try to stress this and and make sure people never forget that we affected, uh, not me, uh, but the men and women women under my command, under the mayor's command, affected the greatest rescue mission in the history of the country. They took 20 to 25,000 people out and they evacuated more than a million people. If you remember the Brooklyn Bridge. It's the hundreds of thousands of people going over the Brooklyn Bridge, nearly a million people out of Manhattan. That's that's what we should remember about that day.
0: It's just extraordinary. Um, Mr. Mayor, I want to turn to you, if I could. Um, the we say all the time we must re- not forget, we must not forget this day. And part of that means we must not let down our security posture. When you look at the last year, what, how we withdrew from Afghanistan Uh, the open border. Do you think we've forgotten some of those lessons and has this president put us in more peril uh, 21 years after that terrible attack?
4: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I don't have the slightest doubt that we are in much more peril today than we were in on the day before September 11. And, you know, that wasn't true for about 17 or 18 years. We had done a pretty good job of dealing with uh, securing the United States, and I would always uh, say, you know, we're not perfect and we're still vulnerable, but we're in better shape now. We're in worse shape now. What happened in Afghanistan uh, really reversed the whole thing. Just think about it. They're training to come here and kill us with $85 billion of our equipment and an Air Force base that was a modernized Air Force base that we gave, that we gave to them. Uh, this is absolutely insane. It, it borders on treason. And it yeah. puts this country in much more peril. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal just the other day. That's right. a massive, massive amount of training going on in Afghanistan with new equipment. <laughs> that equipment was given to them by Joe Biden. I mean, this is extraordinary. And well, Bernie is that. absolutely right. The bravery of these men and women, you know, when people uh, question the bravery of law enforcement, I can't speak to all of it because Bernie and I don't know all of it. But I don't know how many men and women we had that ran into that building when they could have run the other way. There's one very famous one, Frank Siller, who was off duty. He got his gear and he ran in. (laughs) Yeah. When we gave the order to evacuate, they stayed until the civilians evacuate to a cop or a fireman means when the civilians are out of there. Not uh, not I'm going to run out of here. So uh, it was the greatest mission in American history, and the 9/11 Commission said that. It's often ignored. Said it was the greatest rescue mission in history. This is not just Bernie and me saying it.
0: No. Oh, it has been validated by history, sir. I know you need to go. We're, we're lucky enough to keep Commissioner Carrick over to the commercial break. And you mentioned the um, sure. Frank uh, Siller's family. Uh, Stephen, the firefighter, died that day. We're going to have Frank on at the back of the show to remind people. Yeah, we're going to have great a great work. man on, and you have a great man on right now. Yeah, we're <laughs> very, very lucky. Well, sir, we're going to say goodbye right, to Mr. you Mayor. so you can get to the thing. And we're going to um, come right back after these commercial messages with further discussion with former Commissioner Bernard Carrick right after this.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to our 9-11 Remembrance Day show. If you are just now tuning in, welcome. Uh, Up until this point, we have talked about the state of our safety under this current administration with former acting secretary of DHS, Chad Wolf, who served under President Trump and former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani to unfold a series of events that occurred on 9-11. And rejoining John and I now to continue our conversation is former New York Police Commissioner Bernie Carrick. Bernie, thank you so much for staying with us us thank you i want to pose the same question to you you know we we are existing in a time post trump presidency during president trump's administration it felt uh, quite peaceful here at the on the homeland with joe biden in the oval office are we better off or worse off
5: No, I think we're far worse off, and we're worse off for a number of different reasons. One, the open borders is allowing people into this country that's not vetted. We don't know where they came from. Um, We do know, however, uh, with the hundreds of thousands that Biden has let into this country illegally. We do know there are several um, people that were on the terror watch list that have been captured. But I can promise you for as many as been that's been captured, there's the same amount or more that's in this country and we have no idea where they're at. That's number one. Number two, our intelligence leads are far different because we don't have the respect and the admiration uh, by foreign nations that President Trump did or President Bush did. Uh, The bottom line is we're not getting the intel feeds from those nations um, like we have in the past. And number three, um, educating the American people has stopped you know I, I am stunned that our kids today are not taught about September 11th you know people people sort of put it behind them um, basically saying you know it's in the past we shouldn't talk about it what if what if we did that with World War One or World War Two or the Korean War or the Vietnam War or any of the wars the bottom line is the, the most devastating battleground in the history of the United States is probably one of them is probably ground zero, where 3000 people died on the morning of September 11th. Innocent people died on September 11th. You know what? Nobody should forget what happened that day. And I'm stunned that schools around the country um, are not educating our youth. Uh, to let them know what happened, so they will remember always.
0: Yeah, that's such an important thing. We promise we would not forget. We've got to live up to that promise. Commissioner, a year ago, you did something very special for me. You provided me a document, uh, the after-action report of 9-11, and we learned about a thing called Operation Omega, and you reminded me of something very important. We saw a lot of organic, heroic behavior, but you and the mayor before 9-11 were relentless in training and preparing for such a day. Tell us a little bit about Operation Omega and how it made a difference that day.
5: Well, I, I think the credit really goes to the mayor, John. Uh, in the aftermath of the first bombing, uh, once he took over the city, he wanted an operational command center for a crisis in New York City. And he created the Office of Emergency Management from 1996 on Every month, every two months, we would have training modules um, to prepare for crisis, whether it was a plane crash or whether it was a mock drill and a tabletop exercise relating to a mass transit uh, crisis. Every few months, We planned and prepared and practiced for everything under the sun, anything you can imagine. So on the morning of September 11th, we had never planned for two huge missiles to be flown into buildings. However, The response protocols were in place in a manner where the city did exactly what had to be done. Every firehouse knew how many to send. Every every police precinct knew how many to send. The command centers were established as per protocol. There were things that happened, things that went into place that were in the plans and protocols. That had that system not been in place, it would have never happened. And and as for Operation Omega, it was the first time that it was ever called. And basically, that was an order directed from me to shut down the entire city. Um, You know, it's the first time I think ever that people actually saw signs at the Brooklyn Bridge, at the, the Manhattan Bridges. Uh, no entry into New York City. New York City's is closed. Uh, we didn't allow anyone in, allow anyone in with the exception of first responders and people that had to get into Manhattan to uh, to fight this battle. Yeah,
0: amazing. Incredible. And a million yeah, people incredible. outbound. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's
0: right. Right. yeah, that's right. That's right. Amazing.
2: Bernie, I want to, I want to shift gears a little bit. I know that you are a law and order guy. Unfortunately, this country and our biggest cities have devolved into lawlessness. We have very recent examples in Memphis, the woman who was abducted and murdered, and then the mass shooting that resulted in four deaths, both perpetrated by people who were recidivistic offenders. Um, is woke ideology and woke criminal justice killing Americans?
5: That's what's responsible for it, but that's, you know, it's not, I I wouldn't even say it's those people. You know who it is? It's the governors that implement these ridiculous bail reform policies, like the governor here, uh, you know, in New York City or New York State. It's the mayor's that aren't supporting their police officers. It's the mayors and city council members that's really asking for defunding their own police. Um, It's prosecutors that's not prosecuting these radical left-wing maniacs that are sitting in district attorney's offices that are not prosecuting the really bad people, putting them behind bars and leaving them there. Um, That's the bottom line when you have administrations run like that you're going to have substantial increases in violent crime murder and shootings and that's what we're seeing in every one of these major cities run by a democrat today
0: oh, that's just extraordinary mr commissioner in the time left i just want to say something uh, people have seen you and i together on different shows different radio broadcasts i can't tell you the number of nypd officers current and former, that come up to me and say I can't tell you how proud I am that I work for Bernie Carrick. Mm-hmm. You have an allegiance from the men and women that followed you that I haven't seen in anyone else that I've covered in the 35 years I've been a journalist. And I just want to acknowledge that your, your work that day and your work throughout the time as NYPD commissioner is something that we should all applaud. So thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to have you on the show.
5: John, thank you. Thanks oh, very
0: much. Wow, it's a great honor. What a discussion. Well, and what a day, Amanda. I'll tell you, uh, we can never forget it.
2: Absolutely.
0: All right. Well, we've got more of this great conversation ahead of us. Lots to talk about. One of the people I'm looking forward to, Frank Siller, he is uh, a person who took the tragedy, his family experienced 9-11, turned it into one of the greatest charities in American history, the Tunnel to Towers uh, Foundation. We're going to cover that in a few seconds right after this commercial break.
7: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
0: Welcome back, everybody. 9-11 provided so many amazing uh, stories of heroes, but our next guest had a brother whose heroism I remember to this day. It is an extraordinary story. Frank Siller is the founder of the Tunnels to Towers uh, Foundation, and he is joining us now to share his story of how his brother's sacrifice that day inspired one of the greatest charity movements in American history. Frank, great to have you on the show today.
8: Thank you, John and Amanda. Thank you for having me. Uh, Yeah, my brother was pretty incredible. Thank you.
0: He was. For those who haven't heard the story, I know this is the 21st anniversary, but uh, remind us what your extraordinary brother did that day.
8: Well, he was just finished his night tour in squad one in Brooklyn. He was a New York City firefighter. Uh, He actually was on his way home to play golf with my brother, George, my brother, Russ, and myself. Four brothers didn't get too many opportunities to play golf. So we were really looking forward to it. And it was a, weather-wise, it was like the best day ever. Um, And uh, we were excited, but of course, he had a call to duty. He heard on his radio scanner that the towers were hit. So he turned his truck around, went back to the firehouse, got his gear, drove to the mouth of the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, was closed for security reasons. And, uh, you know, people are running out, cars were being abandoned, you know, because you didn't know what was going on. The towers had not collapsed, obviously. Uh, but, the you know, but people were, were afraid. So they weren't letting anyone in New York. So he strapped 60 pounds of gear on his back and ran through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel where it's almost two miles long. Just that tunnel itself is two miles long and uh, came out, got up West Street, went into what we believe was the South Tower. His body was never recovered, but the 11 of his squad uh, one members died in the South Tower and you would want to fight the battle of ground zero with the guys that you trained with every single day. So in this, we believe he's in the South tower and going up the stairs. And while he was saving people, he gave up his life. And we were so moved as a family when we found out, you know, what he did. And, uh, we started the tunnel to towers foundation.
2: Such a hero. Amazing, I mean, you hero. know, and that was such a devastating day. A lot of Americans knew people or new people who knew people who died Um, But I guess the only silver lining or one of the few silver linings was the way that America came together. Um, I'm curious your thoughts. You know, we are unfortunately in such a divided America right now, left and right, Republican and Democrat. If, God forbid, there was another attack on American soil, do you think that we would come together the way that we did after 9-11?
8: I do. I I know for sure. Uh, You know, it's America is a big family. You got a lot of voices. And usually the loudest voices might not be the right voices. Uh, but that being said, um, that's why America is great country, the greatest that ever existed, because you're allowed to, even if you don't make sense, say what you want. Um, that being said, I have no doubt. If we had another 9-11, that the country uh, would come together. But I pray that we don't. And that's why we got to thank our men and women who went over there and served for us. They gave their lives up ever since. 7,000 men and women in uniform uh, that gave their lives up. We have to make sure that we take care of those families that are left behind. And that's one of the things uh, that we do at the Tunnel to Towers uh, Foundation.
0: Yeah, Frank, what you've done is nothing short of extraordinary. And obviously it began with the families who lost loved ones on 9-11, but you have expanded the mission of the foundation to so many extraordinary things. I think you're up to almost five maybe 450 mortgage-free homes for people who lost their lives. Tell us a little bit about how the foundation expands and some of the work it's doing to make lives better for the men and women in uniform.
8: Uh, Well, yeah, so just the last two years, John, to be honest with, we did 450 mortgage-free homes. Uh, Amazing. And it's it's going higher and higher and higher at a very rapid pace because the need is incredible. So we take care of our country's most catastrophically injured service members, those that gave their bodies for their country. We build them specially adapted smart homes, mortgage-free. We take care of gold star widows who lost their loved one, who gave their life for our country that have young families left behind. We bill them a mortgage-free home if they don't have one. If they have one, we pay off their their, their mortgages. Also, fallen first responders who die in the line of duty, and we know how many police officers give their lives every year, and firefighters, but more so police officers the last several years. We know there's a big target on their back, sad to say. Um, that. But if they give their life up while protecting their community, they die in the line of duty, and they leave a young family behind, we're going to pay off their, their mortgage. And we're so proud of that. We made an announcement earlier this year that we are going to eradicate homelessness amongst our veterans. There's 40,000 veterans out there that live in the streets. We're going to take care of that. I'm building comfort homes. Wait till the next time. But you, by next year, when we talk, and hopefully talk before that, John, But um, and I can give a, a report we're getting 500 of those homeless veterans off the street this year. I'd like to do so much more next year, but I'm building 500 square foot home comfort homes to put them in these homes with the kitchen, uh, a kitchen, a bathroom, um, so they could take a private shower, uh, of course, a bedroom, and, 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 and a little place to watch TV to give them back some of their comforts in life, some hope, because uh, they lost all hope. Nobody cares about them. Nobody thinks about them. They served us, they protected us, they were willing to die for us, and somehow or another they came back into to, uh, to America and they couldn't get themselves back into society. So we're not only going to put them in these comfort homes, we're going to get them the comprehensive services they're going to need to get back into society. And then, of course, just two days ago, we made an announcement that we have now the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute, where we built a curriculum for ages k through 12, that we are going to get it out in all the schools across the country to make sure that they're teaching the story of 9-11, not just about my brother, but about the 343 firefighters, 60-plus police officers, 2,977 lives that were taken from us that day. Those stories have to be told because we must
0: never forget, and this will help ensure that we never forget. Frank, it's just absolutely stunning. I'm numb thinking of all the ways that you've impacted lives from one heroic firefighter's sacrifice. You have created an entire generation of charity and, and, and good from it. We only got a few seconds left. What's the best way for people to get engaged with Tunnel to Towers? They want to donate. They want to get involved. How do they hook up with you?
8: They go to T, the number two, T.org. That's T2T.org. It stands for Tunnel to Towers. Eleven dollars a month, John and Amanda. That's all we're asking for. Eleven dollars a month. If we get you know over a million people joining us on this mission, we could take care of just not this year, just not next year. Every year we could take care of these great families that are willing to die for you and I, and all too often they do. And as Americans, we better make a promise that we'll take care of the families that are left behind. And that's what eleven a month—that eleven dollars a month
0: can do. It is the best investment. I'm a donor, folks. Match me. Everybody out there, 11 bucks a month. Match me. Join the fight with Frank and his amazing family. Look at what he's doing. He's made a world of difference. Franks, thank you so much for your time, Tim. Thanks for what you do for this amazing country. Thank you. God bless you both. You as well. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with another guest right after these commercial messages.
2: Welcome back, everyone. John, I know I say this all the time, but with people like Frank and Tunnel to Towers Foundation, you really could have an entire special event with just him. What an incredible interview.
0: Oh, he is. He's an amazing family. Last year, they brought me out to an event in Long Island, and I can't tell you what amazing people you meet the survivors of family, the people that Mm -hmm. support the foundation. It is an incredible ecosystem. And our next guest well, he does just as good a work. He is the president of Families of Flight 93. Gordon Felt. Gordon, great to have you on the show, sir.
9: Well, thank you so much for uh, for allowing me to uh, to talk today.
0: Well, we're honored because you have done something that I think is the most important thing we can do in the post 9-11 era, and that is to make sure people never forget what happened to that day, and particularly for all those heroes that died at Shanksville. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Flight 93 team does, what you've been able to do over the last 21 years? Well.
9: You know, from very early on, when, when the families
0: were first brought to, uh,
9: Shanksville, uh, to see where the plane came down, uh, we, we kind of began to, to bond with the local community, uh, with each other as, as families that were kind of walking in a fog, you know, in those, in those early days. Uh, and we realized very quickly that, uh, this story was much bigger than just the story of, of 40 individuals. It, it, it was a story of 40 heroes that uh, could have been any one of us. You know, It could have been a neighbor. It could have been, you know, in my case, uh, in my eldest brother. Right. Uh, you know, the, these individuals that, that uh, you know, whose lives were changed in, in just a matter of minutes uh, that day, like all of our lives were changed, but, but they, they fought. You know, they, they fought for their lives, and and uh, and their story is is heroic, and, and one that, that we realized had to be preserved, uh, had to be told, uh, because people started coming, people started coming out to the crash site and, and asking questions and leaving remembrances, and and uh, the local community realized very quickly that we needed to organize, and the families very much wanted a seat at the table as we organized uh, and began to develop the Flight 93 National Memorial Project, which President Bush signed uh, into law uh, in 2002. And from there, it, it just it took off. And we worked hand-in-hand hand with the federal government, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, the local community, the family members, anyone that, that had an interest in, in taking part. Uh, we had a... Mm-hmm. Uh, a design competition with thousands of entries from around the world, and, and you know, every step of the way, we were able to uh, work together uh, to problem solve, to you know get get past those hurdles. Uh, using the, the story of our loved ones is, as as you know, the motivation, uh, they inspired us to yeah. to try to get it right, and, and we feel that we did. It's a it's a beautiful 2,200 uh, acre. Uh, Flight 93 National Memorial that's being operated by the National Park Service. Uh, We had our final dedication uh, a few years ago of the Tower of Voices, which stands as a beacon at the entrance of our memorial, uh, right down to the 50 acres of sacred ground uh, that's been preserved uh, where the the plane came down was the debris field and is the final resting place for our loved ones. Mm. And amazing.
2: and it is an absolutely exceptionally beautiful facility. So, if you out there in our audience have not been, you should, I encourage you to go. Gordon, um, the folks that come and visit the site uh, and honor the the folks who were lost on that day uh, on Flight 93. That's a different type of person. That's a person who, who, you know, is concerned about history and maybe was not even alive, but they just want to learn about it. But for the rest of America, does it feel like we have gone against what we said we wouldn't do, which was to never forget?
9: Well, we still get thousands of people every year out to the memorial. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's encouraging. And and a lot of those people are are children, our school groups. Uh, We we are right on the, the highway. Uh, for, for school groups going from the Midwest, from Ohio, from Western Pennsylvania to Washington, D.C. And quite often school groups will, will either stop in at the Flight 93 Memorial on the way to D.C. or after they get to Washington and they go to the Capitol building and they see the plaque in the Rotunda, or just off the Rotunda in the Capitol building, dedicated to the passengers and crew members of Flight 93 and learn the story in Washington. Then they come back uh, and, and can look out over the sacred ground and, and talk with the interpretive rangers and, and hear the story. Uh, and, and it's really inspiring to see these children. They have questions. Uh, you know, it's interesting. The young ones come with questions. Those of us that survived September 11th, uh, when when... You know, the people of that age come into the memorial. They want to talk about their experiences. They want to talk about uh, you know where they were, and they want to relate to the day. and And so it's our job not only to tell the story, but also to listen to the stories of people that are coming to us uh, to to again to,
0: to re- have their own memories that they want to keep alive in their hearts. Yeah. You've created an amazing place of healing and learning in commemoration. I we got about uh, a minute left, uh, Gordon. I just want to ask this. Is there one thing, your, your brother was one of those 40 heroes that struggled to get control of that flight, one thing we can remember about your brother on this incredibly solemn weekend?
9: Ed was a gentle man. He, he didn't have a, a, a violent bone in his body. Uh, he was a problem solver. Um, but, you know, it was a, a unique group of 40 people that were able to come together and work as, as one. You know, I talked last year in my remarks at the memorial about E Pluribus Unum. Mm-hmm. Uh, out, of, out of many, one, and, and that's what happened on Flight 93. They came together, and it, it should inspire us to, to to try to do the same uh, ourselves in our lives, in our country, uh, to to work as a team. Uh, and, and I think that's part of the inspiration of Flight 93.
0: Such words of wisdom.
2: Yeah. Mm. absolutely and unfortunately we do have to leave the conversation right there but fellow patriots keep families like gordon's in your thoughts and your prayers this weekend and continue uh, to pray for them despite being 21 years later this day um, it really still doesn't get any easier america was attacked and our fellow citizens were tragically killed and uh, with another day of our show in the books we must and will never forget john and i make that commitment
0: All right, folks, thanks for listening to the 9-11 special here on John Solomon Reports at justthenews.com. As I close out, people ask, is there something we can do? Support your journalism, support Just the News, support investigative reporting, getting the truth to more people. I have just one request of you today. If you are inspired by what Frank told you, Frank Sillers, if you want to say, listen, I'm not going to forget, I'm going to make sure other people don't forget them, for goodness sake, help Frank Siller and the Tunnel to Towers Foundation by going to T, the number two, T.org, T2T.org, and making an $11 a month commitment like I do. Match my $11. Help Frank out. Let him know that you're just a Just the News fan or a John Solomon Reports fan and get involved. We need people more now than ever because we're getting complacent. You heard Chad Wolf say how we've gone backwards. You heard Rudy Giuliani and Bernie Carrick remind us of the pain of that day what it's like to be sucker punched. We can't be sucker punched again by terrorists. We can't allow it to happen. And of course, what better way to be motivated than the sacrifices that Stephen Siller's made or that the extraordinary patrons on the flight that we know as United Flight 93 made to save more victims in Washington by crashing the plane and fighting with those terrorists so they couldn't accomplish their ultimate mission. $11 a month. That's all you need to make a difference in this and to reward the warriors of the war on terror and the men and women in blue who put their lives on the line every day so you and I can be safe. Frank does a great job. He puts every penny towards the mission, and you can do something special today by donating to him. All right, folks, that wraps it up. God bless you. Have a great night. We'll be back Monday with regular programming. Yep, you've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News.